0: Everybody, to the HR revolution or evolution, whatever way you look at it. It's the revolution of HR for the evolution of business. And we have conversations with thought leaders like Kim um, today. Uh, Really excited to sit down with leaders to kind of bring the educational and shared experiences of the world of HR to other practitioners or professionals that are thinking about making that career change into HR. Because HR is starting to be getting more exciting, um, believe it or not, and uh, we're helping uh, kind of lead these businesses forward in this new normal. Um, they're trying to ask a lot of questions that they simply do not have the answer to, but, un- but fortunately for us, most of the HR practitioners and professionals have that intellectual and social capital that they've been collecting for the last 30 years and do have some of these answers to these questions. And we try to pull out as much value as we can from these conversations, so we're providing value back to the HR community. So I wanted to introduce my co-host, Chris Derone.
1: Thank you very much, Kevin and Kim. We're excited to have you on the program today, as Kevin said. And I'll just reiterate, this is all about how do we help ourselves and each other as HR professionals um, continue to provide value to the organizations or or the communities that you belong with. So I am super excited. Today our guest today is Kim Blue. She is the Chief People Officer at Open Exchange and Kim has an extensive background in human resources. She has worked at companies such as ESPN, Microsoft and Zoom. In addition, Kim is a values-driven leader who stresses the importance of the importance, I should say, of mindfulness and servant leadership. She's a member of the Forbes Human Resources Council a member of Chief, which is an organization devoted to the advancement of women into executive positions. And she is an executive board member of the Black in HR, a community of over 5,000 Black HR professionals dedicated to providing networking and learning amongst their group. And on top of all that, you know, if we could keep adding on, Kim is very active uh, on social media, podcasts, and weekly conversations on Clubhouse. Got to admit, quite impressive. And in full disclosure. Kim and I did work together way back when at ESPN, which probably Kim feels like a lifetime ago for you um, so on behalf of Kevin and myself, we want to thank you for taking time to talk with us today and welcome you to the show.
2: Chris Kevin, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited and you're right Chris it feels like a lifetime ago but it kind of doesn't so it's it's you know it's nice to just, reconnect with people who were very much a part of my journey and, and me getting to the space that I'm in now.
0: So I love, I love when we're kind of reflecting on those life journeys, because I think a lot of people are kind of taking that time out during the pandemic to really look at that journey, right? And, and that crooked mile story that a lot of us have to share, but a lot of those experiences are make us who we are and make us kind of a little bit more dangerous, but kind of speaks to the value of people, right? Um, that on that individualized basis, and we're starting to see more and more of that. Um, One of how I wanted to kick off the conversation is that most people do not believe that HR practitioners and professionals have a life outside of work. Um, So I wanted to know, Kim, if I pulled up to next to you in Atlanta and I caught you singing your favorite karaoke song, what would it be?
2: Great question. Um, I don't know that I have a favorite. I've got an eclectic taste of music. One thing to know about me is before I moved into HR and I tell this part of my story um, is that I started my career in general in corporate health and wellness so I've always been a coach and a mentor in that regard but because I started in corporate health and wellness I used to teach fitness and wellness classes so I love music Um, I would probably say if I had to you know like what's my jam right this moment um, that I'm just really rocking out to I'm 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 kind of behind the scenes going through like a painfully earnest Michael Jackson phase. Like that he's just, who's giving me life right now in particular, like, um, you know, late eighties, early nineties, Michael Jackson. Um, And so I actually have Thriller on vinyl and so I'm spending my time with that in rotation right now. And so I'd probably like, Thriller just doesn't disappoint, right? It's yeah, it never does. Yes. Yes.
1: That's great. Let's say I'm coming to visit you in Atlanta and, you know, we're going to lunch. Where are we going?
2: Yes. Oh my goodness. So my favorite restaurant in Atlanta recently just closed down the owners of it. um, And he's brilliant. He's one of those gentlemen who says, you know, I I like to um, invest in the lifespan of a restaurant, but I like to keep the community connected. So if if this restaurant had not closed, I'd be taking you to this place called JTC Kitchen. It's it's all around, amazing spot, um, just great energy, great vibe, but since that location is closed down, yeah, yeah. Um, I would probably take you to a spot called Optimus. Optimus is just hands down some of the best seafood that you could ask for. Again, really laid back atmosphere and the it's for me, it's the combination of like the customer service and just the way that they put their energy in love into how they make their food the best lobster roll i have ever had locally in atlanta in atlanta yeah yeah, 100 i would have never guessed that yeah yeah so and and listen it's atlanta so you can get just about anything you want here and this place is about five minutes from my house and it you know it's just it's real chill and real even right but they just they get it right every time
1: optimist it's got a optimist name to it too so yes
0: exactly exactly in the customer experience there it's uh it sounds like that's uh obviously happy employees employee experience that we're going to yes. get into later um but uh i wanted to start with something because hr practitioners and professionals and leaders are so good at protecting the business right um mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're, they're uh, the, the compliance experts, they, they're the no police, sometimes the no fund police, but really in the effort to protect the business, right? Um, and almost save the business from itself or leaders from themselves sometimes. Okay. Um, there was a, a quote that I was reading in a book um, from, and I wanted to read it to you, is that um, the scarcest resource today is time, right? One cannot rent, hire, buy, or otherwise obtain more time. How do you protect your time, Kim, being a VP of HR to ensure that you're not getting bogged down with the administrative and can still focus on being strategic and that visionary within the organization?
2: This is a great question because one of the things I'm doing in my role right now is building. And if, if anybody has ever built an organization, you understand that there is nothing that takes more time than a build, right? And there is something to be said about going into things that are intact and having to sort of reconfigure or reevaluate process versus the actual establishment of a foundation and then standing things up on top of that, that are going to need to be operational and are going to need to make sure that they can execute and sustain whatever work that's being done. So. For me, it really gets into three key areas. One is I need to understand what the talent is that exists around me. So, who is capable, able, willing to do this aspect of the work, and where are we on that journey right now? And how much external resource do I need to to you know bring in, right? In any type of organization, you're going to do one of three things. You're going to buy, build, or borrow. And so in a build, you have to decide how much we can build and where we need to ensure that we borrow where we can or we buy where we can. So that's the first step, which is what does my talent landscape look like? The second thing is I need to understand what the roadmap is to where we are going. So, okay, we've got this in place and now let's look at where do we aspire to be and where are we on our journey already? Because if those things don't line up, then we have a disconnect in the who can do the, where we're trying to get to. And when you can't do those things, your build is going to take time. And that increases things like um, frustration or it, it shows up in employee engagement surveys, right? That's where we get into morale or employee experience, which I'm really big on. Um, And so I spend time looking at sort of those first two pieces of the algorithm, because then that leads to the third component is, which is, okay. And then what is the tone at the top and how do we bring in that leader perspective or that leader mindset to say, okay, we're really clear or providing that transparency on what it is that we as the leaders need to set in terms of tone, direction, and expectation. Because if that's not clear, then the people who are supposed to be doing or helping with the build can't get their arms around what they need to own. And then that's going to impact the roadmap because then there's no clarity on the roadmap. And then that's going to report that, excuse me, that regards back up to the leaders to say, well, we're not getting the clarity from you. So if you're not giving us clarity, the people can't do what they need to do. And if they're they're confused, then the roadmap is not going to make any sense. And the roadmap is owned by the leaders. So that's how I manage the time to just start with do we have that first component from there, then I can get into the specifics of saying, here are my personal boundaries, Mm -hmm. which are part of my own personal blueprint, (laughs) right? Because boundaries need to be in place, both to help ensure that the things that are in place can stay, but also how I can ensure that everything outside of those boundaries does not get lost as I am looking to prioritize my time. So um, when I need to be Um, a mom, because that's a huge part of my, my, my growing list of things that Chris mentioned at the (laughs) beginning. Right. Um, And not just um, a human mom, right. I've got a fur baby as well, who also wants a lot of my time. And I'm happy to give that to both of them. Um, And then there's me, right? There are things that I value. So my own exercise, my own um, nurturing and develop both mentally and physically, right? I'm I'm an avid reader. I love to spend time educating myself around what's happening in our industry and in our world because all of that goes into who I am as a leader and my leadership philosophy. So I'm really intentional about prioritizing my no's. And the reason that I am is because for every yes, that means there's a no somewhere else. And typically that's on me. So if I say yes to this meeting, that means I'm either going to be late to, or there's a no in some other capacity. And so part of that assessment is also, again, do do I have the right people or talent in place to be able to do what needs to be done? And if so, I empower through delegation this person is smart, capable, willing, they've got the ability to do it. Let's let them stand in the gap or own that. They will get back to me. I will provide whatever air cover advocacy or support is needed for them, but they're, they can do it. And then if I really need to step in, I'll absolutely step in because the no to that and the yes to them gives me the ability to have time to say yes to my son when he says, mom, can we build the lego Fortnite <laughs> fill in the blank with whatever that is yes you can because that's just as important right building legos is just as important as building an organization yeah. one is not more important than the other because oh, chief people officer and chief mom officer are the same thing right oh, i can't oh, i oh, can't oh, put a, a value on one or the other
1: you, you gave us a lot a lot to think about there kim which is fantastic and what i kept hearing as you're going through is that that value-driven you know, philosophy that you have, your approach to leadership. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to use a word here, tongue in cheekly, what is the blueprint (laughs) of leadership today, right? So look at leadership today. And then how has it changed? Because we know that, you know, more than just leadership has changed, employee experiences have changed, engagement, love culture has all changed. Um, So what, how do you look at that blueprint of leadership today? You know, what's most important? And then, you know, how has that changed over the past, let's say a few couple of years?
2: That's a great question. I think the pandemic has really brought to life how leadership has evolved or been encouraged to evolve. I spend a lot of time, <laughs> right? right. Um, emphasis on encouraged. Yeah, um, exactly. I've, I mentioned that I spend a lot of time listening to other conversations and part of my own development is understanding what's happening out there in the world. And I was really listening to A fascinating conversation about leadership and everyone was defining their approach to leadership and what that meant and from that the goal was and every leader in the room can then take their perspective of that and put together how they define leadership and 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 i came across a gentleman who sort of spoke about it this way i'm going to paraphrase because i don't want to steal his thunder but essentially what he said was leaders are people leadership is a practice People who want to get good at something, put practice behind it every yeah. day. And so it. that that means you have to show up as a leader with your values, being intentional about how you want people to experience you. And I talk a lot about that. And so I think the blueprint is getting really prescriptive on um, you know, four key things. And I'm going to give you my personal blueprint and then translate it to the rest of the world, right? But you have to be in alignment with your values. Your values are the first thing. If you're in opposition. Of your values that means you're not going to be able to show up authentically as yourself and as a leader you cannot afford for people to not see you you have to humanize yourself it it goes beyond just title chief yes but mom sister Mm -hmm. caregiver whatever that is because that's the place you're going to relate to other people and people are going to see you so you have to be in alignment with your values and That means operating with that. So if you value honesty, that means that you're going to be honest and you're going to show up that way. You're going to be honest with other people, even if honesty is not their jam. You still have to be okay with being honest and saying, I know you may feel uncomfortable, but I'm I'm not going to be able to be me or be at my best if I can't do that. Mm -hmm. The the other component of that is um, vulnerability. You have to be willing to be seen and let people really meet you where you are on your journey. As a leader, that means owning, I made a mistake, I'm wrong, stepping in the gap and saying, you know what, I need to make sure that my team is able to step in and really upskill or develop in, in a way that's going to be able to provide support advocacy, whatever the need is to help enable the business strategy to get to yes or uh, a process to you know success, whatever that looks like. But you have to be vulnerable. Sometimes that means taking smart risks. Sometimes it means saying no, not right now. Sometimes it means finding your voice to push back. But whatever that is, vulnerability is a key component to leadership. And I would dare say that over the last decade has been something that has started to gain more traction because Leaders were not vulnerable. Yeah,
1: you're
0: right. It was right. a sign of weakness. Before. Or yeah. absolutely, yeah.
2: absolutely. Yeah. Whereas, awesome. where, yeah. exactly. Whereas now that vulnerability or that intentional presence to be able to say, you know what, I just don't, I don't believe that. I don't feel that. That doesn't align with what I think we need to be doing. There's power behind that. And so I think people are activating their power. The other piece is boundaries. And I spoke a little bit about this earlier is being able to honor your boundaries. Organizationally, if there are no boundaries in place, this is how we get to burnout. This is how we get to employees saying, I'm I'm done. I don't align with the direction of this organization anymore. Right. Um, and so for everybody who's listening by trade, I'm an HR business partner. That's always, that's been what I've always done. Um, and so what we know in any conversation as an HR business partner, is that the presenting agenda is never the real agenda, right? The meeting invite comes into you that says, um, you know, I have a question about compensation. Okay, sure. And 10 minutes in, this person is now saying, oh, and I just, I really have issues with my manager and I don't feel like I can get anything done and I'm not supported. That's not a question about compensation, mm-hmm. right? But then 10 more minutes in, if you are savvy enough to keep poking at that bear a little bit, now you understand that people just don't feel valued. And I don't know if this continues to be the right place for me. And so there's no organizational boundaries because people are saying the thing that I'm experiencing is not the reason why I said yes to this organization. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Right.
2: And that speaks to self-care. And so when organizations are not practicing or have defined their own Mm self-care, it means that they are devaluing right all the other previous things that i mentioned their own values Mm -hmm. the being vulnerable about saying we're going to change or practice this and we don't have any boundaries or ring fences around the how we're going to work we're just pushing through because we want to keep up we don't want to miss out we don't want to get behind we don't want somebody to kind of step in over us all those things play into um sort of the leadership blueprint and i think you have to have a good balance of those in place every day in order to be successful as a leader, but to also have impact the way that you okay. want to. Yeah.
0: I love I love what you just said and how you kind of brought it all back together with the impact because to gain influence in the C-suite, right, um, to, to build relationships internally with the organization, you've had to learn how to lead and be vulnerable yourself in order to know what questions to ask these managers, these senior level leaders to know what motivates them and what their own definition of success is. And I can clearly see you've been on the business partner side because then you know what makes them motivated. And if you're enabling their success, that's gonna build your trust and your accountability with them. And then they're gonna come to you with more projects and more questions. And and really then you solidify yourself as a true value center to the organization because now you're getting questions answered for the business. Um, And I know that's really important to you because you mentioned just alignment of HR to the business. One of the things that you said and you keep harping on, and I don't want to discredit it at all, is leadership, right? We keep using the words leadership, courage, bravery. And I'm going to go on a limb and say that we don't have enough of that today in HR. Kim, how do we get more HR professionals comfortable and confident in their own skin and learn as to what their values and their true values are, setting their boundaries and establishing those relationships internally, to be the leaders that the employees in the business need them to be?
2: I think this is the million dollar question. And what I would offer is when we talk about vulnerability, encouraging the leaders who do practice this, right? Because leaders are people and leadership is a practice. And so you want to make sure that the practice is visible to others. And so you have to get folks along the journey with you to say if we put into practice this we then can achieve these types of results and if that's the type of result that you want to get then we have to make sure that people feel psychologically safe and so that's a term that we have been saying a lot but for HR professionals it means something completely different. Two things are very true that I think all organizations fail, and I I was hesitant about using that word, but I'm gonna say it fail to really understand. One is that your HR team are humans first, right? It's the first word in our title, human, and then the resource. The resource part is what gets prioritized, right? Mm Right. So that's the first thing. The second thing is every single thing that those human resources are helping to shepherd the organization through, we are experiencing as people as well. So the minute you start to humanize us and see us as people, then it creates psychological safety for us because HR professionals are vulnerable every day, but we will pull back if people don't meet us on our own journey. And we don't get that same level of engagement or we're not viewed as, you know, equals or considered a part of the team or whatever it may be. So the minute we don't do that, there's no psychological safety for us to be vulnerable. Then we get into doing our job descriptions and being less human. And that, exactly. If that
0: job description is even close to what you're actually doing. Exactly.
2: (laughs) But remember, that's what grows as we look up the leadership chain, right? And so we think about, you know, being an individual contributor and then stepping into management. If you're not safe at all of those levels, then you're gonna hold some of that back. And so how do we encourage employees, HR professionals to say, you've got to find your voice and find your tribe. And how do we cultivate this safety to say, you can say this without retribution and you're going to understand that we're going to back you and support you. And I think that takes trust from our business leaders Mm -hmm. to be willing to say, I will go with you on this because I am of the belief that this is right. I believe that these are the things that we need to be doing. I don't always think that there is enough partnership between leaders and HR professionals. Um, And I think, leaders feel like there's a risk there because they're not psychologically safe, because they have an obligation to the organization, to the bottom line, to the shareholder. But HR has an obligation to all of that. And it starts through the partnership with the leader. So if we can't get the leader HR partnership to be really solid, then we're always going to be in deficit there. And that psychological safety is not going to be there in either direction. And so I think you got to cultivate that a little bit. So how do we bring the business into our world Mm -hmm. and help them see that we are people and humans, we're going through this, but we also need you just like you need us.
0: Yeah. And I, and I love that point that you, 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 you made, right. Is that assimilation that, that, that you need each other. Right. But there's History, right? And history is kind of uh, on, the, on the leading edge right now is like, that was not the case. We were personnel, right? We weren't really arming the CEO or, or the senior leadership with any information to drive business decisions. So it, we can't be faulted, right, for, for that view of, of HR, because the, what happens is, and leaders say, it, is there, there's no accountability in HR. So Kim, how do you build accountability for yourself and like standards if if they're not even asking you to, how do you, I guess, build that accountability so you can actually build that trust, like you mentioned, necessary in order to kind of get to the work that needs to be done?
2: You have to be clear about what it is that you're there to do. And oftentimes we use, um, you know, buzzwords or, you know, language that is, uh, you know, positively inflammatory, I'll say that, but it's all the right things we should be saying, right? We say yes to everything, but is it really a yes, right? And Chris could attest to this because we worked for an organization where, you know, if on a Friday they said, we want to launch a show on Monday, right? HR was going to figure out how to get this done, essentially. And it came at the expense of us as resources, and as humans. Mm-hmm. And so you have to get clear about saying, these are the goals that we have every single time we come into a conversation with you when you approach us. No matter what, we are here to enable business strategy. We're here to foster leadership success. And we're here to shape the employee experience. Let me define what that means for you. It means that if you ask us to partner with you on something, you need to be open to our discovery because we need to figure out what the path to yes is going to look like. And we need to get clear with you about saying, we can get you here here's some things that you know we're going to need to kind of pause and spend a little bit of time with in order to get to that yes but we're going to work towards a yes and making sure that you identify what um the working agreements are, right? And that's not a, a Kim Blue term, right? I've got to credit a leader that I used to report to um, for that. But she presented that. And the working agreement concept is the what are you going to do and what am I going to do that we commit to that we can go back to to say we both agreed that this was going to be the process or the approach, and we're going to follow that. And we commit to also adjusting that if environment you know dictates. Mm-hmm. But this is where we're going to meet. That is how you get to a place where everybody is bought in because once everybody aligns to that working agreement and once you're able to kind of say, these are the reasons why I'm here, that is the accountability. Because if at any point I can't say, well, I want to enable the business strategy through attending meetings or being alongside you on, you know, you know along, So whatever, whatever the example is, depending on who you support. If you can't do that, then you've got to make sure you provide that. Why are you provide a solution to say, but in the absence of that, this is exactly what I'm going to be able to provide for you. Mm-hmm. It's when we can't meet those critical moments of how or whatever the execution is that HR goes back to those antiquated definitions of personnel and being able to be aligned more with process and not seen as a strategic partner, only the people that execute or where you go when, you know, you get in trouble or the place you go when you're in trouble and you need somebody to help you out, which right, is the, right. the place. That was where... the environment that I
0: grew up in and <laughs> my whole entire life. And why I, I never thought I would ever find my way into HR either. But um, yes, awesome. Yes. Awesome to hear, Kim. That's
1: great. There's a lot of terms, Kim, that, you know, you've been you've been sharing with us and we've been talking about psychological safety. I'm um, getting buy in partnership collaboration, when I hear those words, my mind just goes to inclusion, right? So how how are organizations creating an inclusive environment where everybody feels, you know, that safety, they're able to bring their whole selves to work, they're able to give their best. And I think inclusion is something that every organization is struggling with just post pandemic, we've got hybrid, you know, we've got fully remote organizations. So as an HR leader, you know, what should organizations be doing in order to still keep that you know, the high levels of inclusion going, what can they do, I guess?
2: It's a great question. And I talk, I've i had numerous conversations about sort of the shift from diversity to inclusion because diversity, we are now more Thank comfortable you. with. Thank you. Thank you. Right? <laughs> yes. Yes. I was trying stop, to, trying to get to that topic. I was trying to get to that topic and I
1: didn't know. This no. Was a, but yeah, no, it's, it's the perfect <laughs> segue.
2: Thought organizations used to put so much emphasis on diversity and quite frankly organizations who didn't know what to do with diversity are just now getting to a place where they're comfortable even saying diversity is it (laughs) but here's the thing diversity went from being the thing we needed to do to now being the thing that we measure okay it's we 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 were comfortable with it it's race gender sexual orientation ethnicity whatever that type of box is that we can check measure identify and then put to the side Mm -hmm. and so Here's what I say about in diversity and inclusion. Diversity is the beach, right? The sand is going to meet the water. The sand is going to meet, you know, the other part of the shore or the pier. But there's always going to be a place where the diversity comes to sort of a screeching halt because we know that there's certain constructs that fit inside of it. Yeah. Inclusion is the ocean, okay? And the ocean is big and vast, and there's a lot in the ocean. And past a certain point, the sunlight does not get to all of the things that exist. And so we wade into the parts of inclusion where the light gets to because we can see that and we're comfortable. And that's where the conversation happens, which is we want to talk about inclusion. It's important. We're going to make it a part of our core values. And um, we're going to identify this program to be able to do that it's not a program. It's oh, not a one time. Exactly, yeah. con- right, exactly. <laughs> it has to be something that you work at every single day. And that's the part of the ocean that the sunlight don't get to. Mm-hmm. But when you go exploring, when you watch these programs that explore the dark parts of the ocean, right? There exactly. is life, there's life down there. And there's all types of possibilities and unknowns. And if we are willing to be organizationally vulnerable and continue to have those conversations to invite the spaces in to say things like I don't know what it means to experience this but I'm saying that out loud and then I want you who may have had this experience to bring that to the table and then tell me why that's important as we think about our customer, as we think about our client, as we think about defining our brand or the impact to our brand, right? What if this demographic stopped using our product? How would that impact our bottom line? What do we need to know about the lived experience of a working parent or, you know, whomever or a caregiver that tells us what we need to do? What do we need to know about women, people of color, other marginalized groups, right? But the things that we have been Guarded about or guided to say, well, we don't talk about that in the workplace. If we don't start talking about it in the workplace, because the workplace is everything that's outside of it, that's who comes in to I the workplace you. is all that stuff. You're so here, here, Kim. Right? I if love that. If we yeah. can't bring it into the workplace and have safe conversations about it, then we're always going to be here. And the biggest issue is that people meet themselves on these journeys, they meet their bias, they meet their prejudice, they meet whatever it is that they, have, they can comfortably tuck away and not have to deal with it, it shows up in these spaces. And so people don't wanna be seen in that way, but you have to be willing to explore that depth that part of the ocean that the light does not get that to because again, exactly yeah. because there's there's life and opportunity there and so i think it is really saying if we want to get real we have to get real with ourselves first mm-hmm. and we have to be willing to say i commit to a conversation exactly i yeah. i commit to whatever whatever the platform is and i commit to it consistently i'm going to show up i'm going to listen and i'm going to be honest about saying i've never had to think about that because it's never impacted anyone close to me, but you spend more time at work or with your work colleagues. And so they're just as, it's a different type of family. So if you if you would have that conversation with your family, then why not have it with the same type of, um, investment, you know, in this in this work organization, because that's, a, that's a different type of family that you're spending time with.
0: Yeah. And I think today's conversation, and again, you gave so much to bite off uh, to chew right there is there's so much so much to unpack, but I agree with you, right? A lot of companies um, took the opportunity for the DE&I due to the socioeconomic climate that we're feeling here in the United States. To as a marketing tool, because they became so um, desperate, let's say, in the world of recruiting because of the war for talent of the Great Resignation, that all of a sudden now they're trying to say, hey, 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 we're diverse, we're inclusive, but when they focus most on the diversity because it's more of the words, and you're very cl- careful with the words that you choose, because you said, um, get people on the journey with you, not for you, right? And that's what I think a lot of businesses are trying to explain right now is come work for us. That's the old way of thinking. Come work with us. And a true partnership and that relationship. And the challenge that most businesses face that I found, Kim, is that it's hard to measure inclusion, right? It's really hard to measure it. It's 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 to your point, diversity is easy because we can do sex, we can do age, we can, these are defined characteristics, but inclusion, it's such a personal feeling that it's very hard to measure. How do you measure, how do you how have you found or been successful in measuring inclusion? And then the other piece that I take part two is that I loved your community equals workplace. Workplace equals community. That's yeah. exactly one of the I, I, passions of why we started the show is that I see the community suffering on the outside, but mm-hmm. it, seemingly we have a great business community. Our economy is amazing. Yeah. Where is the disconnect and why aren't we more involved in the community today as a business?
2: That's a fantastic question. Let me address the first part of it for you um, or the first question that you asked me. Um, So I'm gonna start with the second part because the second part of your question because that's the thought that's in my head. So, and the reason that I'm passionate about this is because, right, when I worked for ESPN, one of the things that ESPN stressed to us all is that our employee base should look like our fan base, hundred percent. Wow, love that. Right, and so shout out to them because they planted the seed for that. And, you know, despite all the things that may seep out about ESPN, there's a lot of fantastic stuff that goes on inside of that organization. And they really promote that connection between fans because fans are inside just as much as fans are outside. And so that's really where the foundation started to grow for me. And so if your organization is not a reflection of who you are trying to put your product out there to, or your service out there to, then are we really being intentional about inclusion Mm -hmm. and the opportunity to offer that to everyone, no matter what constructs may be in place, right? Socioeconomic status. And in particular, I'd say over the last five years, as we've looked at so much of the just unrest that's happened in this world, a lot of it that's been racially motivated, right? Um, it has exposed a lot of organizations, sort of Achilles' heel around saying, are we doing enough across the community? to make sure that our footprint is out there, that people experience us. And when you look at the workforce, you start to see the different generations that are there. And millennials have a very strong voice about saying, I'm not going to work for an organization that is not in alignment with my values, or doesn't give me the opportunity to connect with the things that I'm passionate about. And so millennials will go do what you see right they'll start it themselves and they'll go find the 30 other people that believe it the same way they do and so in pop startups pop up all the time and it's all rooted in right where there's a lot of press around um social responsibility if you look at the basis for probably the last two to three years of startups, social responsibility is probably rooted at that. If you, if we knew how to do that work and dig into it, it's all about man. I value this. I value time. I value flexibility, um, and I want to be able to make sure that I can not only plant a garden, but we are, we are a company that invests in, you know, climate control. If if that's what the the thing is that it all relates back to, organizations were not doing that, and so the community did not look like the workforce. You gotta go to work and find your tribe, right? You can't just be at work and not know who your people are. You gotta be able to know, right? They like to run just like I like to Mm -hmm. run. These folks like to cook just like I like to cook. These people believe clean air is important just like I do. Environmental sustainability, whatever.
0: And and you feel people are less likely to leave the organization probably if they've made those social connections. Uh,
2: 100% and so when we think about retention, And we think about some of these other more hard or quantifiable values Mm -hmm. that go into um, exit interviews. It's what we're not saying that we're right. Why are you leaving Mm, my manager? But then if you poke at the bear, that gets into compensation, it gets into this, and then ultimately gets into right. the organization just isn't the same, or I don't have that same feeling anymore. Mm -hmm. And so exit interviews are important, but what's really important is stay interview. Why are you staying with us? And are we doing more about that, right? Right. And so stay interviews are a little harder because um, I think organizations then get exposed and they're not ready for what they hear in a stay interview. In an exit interview, they can predict. It's like diversity, right? We're comfortable with an exit interview, but a stay interview is inclusive (laughs) because everybody will tell you why they stay, but then it's also oh man, do we need to be doing more in this area or how do we do that? And then that goes into that, organizational planning that vulnerability that roadmap to be able to say okay we've heard from 30 percent of our organization that this is important so in q3 after we have achieved these things we're now going to start to focus our conversation there that's a very easy commitment to be able to make you're not doing anything other than saying we'll talk about it mm-hmm. and that's where it starts because then you give people a reason to look forward to it people will stay invest it's it's a whole cycle of retention, and nurturing your employees and that's what shows up in employee engagement surveys Mm -hmm. and morale Mm -hmm. and why people choose to say this is the right organization for me or i'm not going to do more than what i see being done Mm -hmm. by the organization yeah
0: you're right and you can't force people to do things and i hear i hear that saying because we that hard line in the sand is really what people are fighting most um, but also being in tune with senior leadership and understanding those, those percentages.
1: Yeah, Thank you so much, Kim. This is fantastic. <laughs> We're going to end with the question we usually ask our HR leaders is, you know, the future of work, specifically yes. in the HR field, you know, one of the most important skills or competencies that HR practitioners, HR professionals should be working on.
2: My goodness, I love this. So someone recently asked me, like, a similar question and I expounded upon it. So I've got what I refer to as the Kim Blue imperative 11, meaning you got to have all these things. I'm not going to give you all 11, but I will give you three (laughs) that I think are critical. The first one is um, HR professionals have to get comfortable with data right, whether it's qualitative, whether it's quantitative, but we have to know how to tell the story and translate the story of the organization into something meaningful. And I don't care what type of HR professional you are, if you are a recruiter, you need to understand how to translate numbers and hiring into organizational value and why people stay, right? Those stay interviews, are critical qualitative data for a recruiter. Same for a business partner, same for compensation. So you have to get comfortable with data first and foremost. The second thing is that HR professionals have to be agile. We have not historically as an industry been agile, which is why the organization does not want to partner with us because we say, well, it's going to take this much time and this much get put your shoes on and get ready to run whatever that looks like but we have to be able to keep up with the pace of the business but be comfortable enough to say we have to pause here in order to get this right right how do we go slow to go fast and that agility helps keep us in that space to be able to say now we can run now we're at a pace where we can maybe move forward so that when it comes time to take a rest we can breathe and then get the things done that are really critical right and then the third thing is is that we have to clearly Define what our HR values are and how we are going to align the people strategy to the business strategy. They should not be separate. They should be parallel. And there's no reason that the CEO and the CPO or whatever your head of HR title are are not in lockstep all the time. As long as those are two different things or as long as those are two separate conversations, you are running two different races, right? So you have to have that, uh, you know, HR agility. You've got to be able to ensure that you are um, leveraging data and you have to make sure that you are aligning that people strategy to the business strategy and as long as you can do that that is going to set you up from a foundation perspective to make sure that you can really have not only just thoughtful conversations about being an hr practitioner but that you are showing up as a student of the business intentionally and making sure that you can truly right, foster the success of the leaders and enable that business strategy as a partner, Love not that. just as an HR professional, right, but as a true partner to the business.
0: I'm obsessed with the value with adding value, not only to the lives of employees, but also driving the impact on the business. It, I feel, Chris, I feel like uh, very similar <laughs> conversations that I've had I've had before myself. So it feels like I'm talking to myself in the mirror. I'm looking
1: forward to buying your book on the eleven and 3rd. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, let us know when that's out. Um, but this was a fascinating conversation, Kim. I just really want to say, stop and say, Thank you. Um, thank you for all the hard work that you're doing and, and really kind of uh, educating people that the um, non traditional ways into HR are not always the worst thing to happen. Um, I think people kind of get that imposter syndrome because they haven't worked in HR per se. Um, but now they found themselves in HR and kind of just your background in the wellness that's helping you even more, I would suspect, because wellness and that employee value proposition, mental, physical, emotional is really top of mind for these applicants and new employees and current employees, like you mentioned, and the importance to understanding that. So I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your insights and wisdom with the greater HR community. And I would love to uh, geek out again sometime with you because this, is, this is, was a fascinating discussion.
2: No, this was awesome. I, I am passionate about this this is what my gift is it's the ability to be able to share and connect and make sure that people understand that there is more than just opportunity here right there is true genuine reason to dive in every day and bring your whole self to this work and so that's that's what I do and what I I love so thank you very much for the awesome. opportunity to share thank you.